0: Are you ready for the Word this morning? Come on, try to convince somebody that's close to you. Are, are you ready for the Word this morning? Yeah. Amen. 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 You know, Christmas is a lot more uh, fun with the anticipation in it, right? It's kind of the way gift-giving works. Uh, and so, uh, so as we get into the Word this morning, I want to challenge you to gear your heart with expectation, to expect that God wants to speak to you today. Turn in your Bibles with me to Luke Chapter number two, I want us to look at a very, very familiar passage of Scripture. And as we mentioned earlier in the service, we are now in part three of this series, the Christmas, the songs of Christmas. And uh, if you're uh, one of those like OCD people that, uh, you know, like if, if you get an outline and the speaker skips one of the fill in the blanks it's all over for you you're just like this is the worst conference ever like I don't know I don't know what the other part is well uh, then I have used a tactic just for you to entice you to our Christmas Eve service because we'll be finishing this series on Christmas Eve at the Christmas Eve service and what I intend to do is just give a very very brief snapshot of of the three songs of Christmas that we've looked at. And then we're going to jump into the message that, that I believe God has for us and for our community in that service. But I want to begin today. If you got your Bible already open, would you stand with me one more time this morning as we read the Word together? <coughs> Luke chapter 2. We're going to read, follow along with me as I read verse 8 down through verse 20. It says, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. And when the angel had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. Father God, I just pray that in the next few moments we have together, you would illuminate the text, Lord, in our hearts. Let this story come alive, that we see more than a song sung to shepherds on a hillside, but God, we hear Christmas speaking and singing over our lives, even as your word says, the Lord rejoices over us with singing, God, may we hear something that you want to communicate to us through this story today, and God, as we prayed earlier, I pray again, God, give us hearts to respond to what the Spirit is saying to His church, in Jesus' name, amen, amen, you can be seated, You know, these past several days for me have been filled with concerts. A lot of music goes on around this time of year, you know, obviously. But for me, there's been a lot of music being emphasized in my house. Uh, Last week, Macy uh, had her first concert. Uh, she did, she played violin for the first time and, and did a concert. And I think do we have a picture of that. Yeah, there's Macy at her concert. And, and it was awesome. It was as awesome as you can imagine third grade violins can be with only three months of practice. But it was awesome. <laughs> and, uh, and And then... Just a few days later, my oldest daughter, Morgan, she had a concert. I think we got a picture. Yeah, there's her choir. And I, I see some other folks in there I recognize from our student ministry. I know we have several guys in there, but I'm mostly proud of this girl on the end with her back to me. And so we went to her concert and we saw that whole deal. And then uh, Thursday, I got a call Thursday morning. Uh, my good friend that many of you met last year World-renowned concert pianist Adlin Cruz. Uh, we had him here last Christmas to do a concert. I got a call uh, from a friend of mine. They were having Adeline uh, Thursday night, and they said, "Man, do you want to come and play percussion for the concert?" I'm like, "Man, yeah, I want to come." So that was me Thursday, and and you can't see the really important guy. He's on the front of the stage. I just stick me in the back, but I had a chance to. To play in that concert. And then Friday, uh, my mother-in-love, Mary, took uh, my daughters to a symphony orchestra. And so lots of music has been going on around my house lately and around the holiday season. And all of that got me thinking about all the different players in the Christmas story. And how they all come together to create a beautiful song, if you will. How many of you remember elementary school uh, music class. Not not high school music class. That was complicated. Middle school music class for me was all about like learning about composers that were dead and gone that I didn't really care about at that time in my life. But I loved elementary school music. Because the teacher, it was hands-on, and I'm a hands-on guy. They would bring out, like, all the instruments, and everybody would get an instrument. And it was fun. You know, you could, you could play the xylophone, or, uh, you know, you could, you could get the maracas, and, you know, play the maracas, or the tambourine, and so they would pass out the instruments, and, you know, if you were lucky, you got to get a recorder or something, and play the melody, or whatever the part was, it was always fun. Unless you got the finger cymbals. Have you ever seen these? And they're not even real finger symbols. Like, I'm a percussionist, so I know what they're supposed to sound like. But this is like the equivalent of taping two pennies to your fingers. There's these little, like, brass things. They have no ring to them. You just, I mean, you hand me the finger symbols, and I am not having fun in music class anymore. It's not fun. And I just wonder, if you can track with me for a minute, have you ever felt in the symphony of life that you got stuck with the finger symbols? You know what I mean? Like, yeah, there's a story going on, and I'm sure it's important and it's significant, but this is me, okay? I mean, like, honestly, I don't feel like what I'm doing matters much, I don't feel like I'm contributing much to the story. I don't feel like there's much significance in what's going on. And as I look at the Christmas story, one of the things that I love so much about it is the diversity of characters in this story. I mean, sure, there's the major players, you know. There's the 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 Gabriel, the angel who comes and makes the announcement. There's Caesar Augustus who issues a decree for a, a census that everyone should be taxed. And you see all those major players, but then you also see... Verses like verse 8 that we just read. In fact, let's look at it again. It says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. Now no doubt, I don't have to convince you, this story that we're talking about is the story in human history. I mean, this this is the, the hinge pin that everything else swings on. I mean, I would say most of the world would, at this moment, from all the way back since the 6th century, we have kept track of our years. This is 2015 A.D., right? A.D., it's a Latin word. It means Anno Domini. It's translated the year of the Lord. So this is 2015 the year of the Lord, since that moment. So that story, Jesus coming, is the story of human history. I don't have to convince anyone of that today. You can't get a bigger story than the story that we're reading right here. But in the middle of the story, and I didn't back up and read the first seven verses, but I'm sure you'll you'll take time this week to read it with your family as you read of the birth of Jesus. In the middle of this story, we get this little bit of information about irrelevant, obscure, unimportant shepherds. In fact, when you just look at verse 8 by itself, it looks like the most useless verse in all the Bible. I mean, you're talking about the Son of God coming, and then you have this one verse that says, and there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. So what? And that was the view of shepherds in that day. They they were on the lowest, on the lowest end of the scale of of society. They were viewed as outcast in Israel. They were not permitted to to come into the temple for worship because they were unclean. And because of the job that they did, not only were they (laughs) Unclean, but they were gone for long periods of time, and so they couldn't come to the priest to be purified, they couldn't make themselves clean, they were out there for a long time. Verse 8 says they were living in the fields, they weren't visiting the fields, (coughs) they weren't doing shift work in the fields. They were living out in the fields, and so they were, they were the forgotten, they were the overlooked, they were the finger symbol players in the story, okay? Nobody really cares what the guy's doing with finger symbols. But I want you to know this morning that the story of Christmas emphasizes to us, if, if it says anything, and it says a lot, but it emphasizes to me the significance that each person, each one of us, has a place in the heart And in the plan of God. Hear me today. Because you might be that one. You're like yeah. (laughs) This is me right. It's important what you've got going on in your life. But I don't even know if what I'm doing matters. Each person has a place in the heart. And in the plan of God. This isn't a new thought for me. Back in 2012. I I was meditating on this idea. Of the story of. God's redemption. Being like a a musical score, an overture, if you will. And I began thinking about this idea that that each person plays a part in the story. And as I began to meditate on it, I started writing some things down. I, I wrote down, if you could decompose the score, all the notes together, no more, then you might overlook their purpose, not realizing what they were for. Like a single note finding its place, each one is an instrument in the overture of grace. And so I took those little thoughts that I had scribbled down and I got together with a couple former students of mine and we started brainstorming. And we, we wrote this out as a spoken word, a, a poem to be delivered. One of them helped me write it, and the other put a soundtrack behind it to communicate this idea of our role in the story. In fact, I have the recording. It's just about two minutes long. I want you to listen to the Overture of Grace.
1: One note stands alone resonating as a single tone, vibrating through time and space in a repetitious state in search of rhythm and pace. When all of a sudden, melody meets harmony As one becomes two, two, three, and three A chord, when a single sound transforms into a collection Caught up in a progression of change Initiates a song to unfold and we know that music cannot create itself But behind each note is a soul A heart that beats hard with joy Spilling onto pages translated into noise each measure orchestrated with purpose and created in the mind of the maestro saw the end from the beginning before a single note was played like the song of redemption written before the foundation of the earth was laid it's the opus of the omnipotent the ode of the omniscient freedom and hope and the forgiving and extended to the sinning it's the symphony of our salvation But if you could decompose the score of the notes together no more, you might overlook their purpose and not realize what they were for. If you could decompose the score of the notes together no more, you might overlook their purpose and not realize what they were for. Like a teenage girl who announces, I'm pregnant, or the carpenter who chooses her in spite of rejection, faithfully following the direction of the heavenly. We might otherwise think it meaningless to read of a government decreeing a census or a group of astrologers who stand on a hill to gaze at a star that is eastward and still. They're mere shepherds in a field tending to their sheep. in the night while the world is asleep but like a single note finding its place each one is an instrument in the overture of grace since creation the creative conductor has carried the pace he's so committed to the song he has written that he even came to take our place But if you could decompose the score of the notes together no more, you might overlook their purpose and not realize what they were for. And like a single note finding its place, each one is an instrument in the overture of grace.
0: How different our perspective must be from heaven's. You might be looking at your life, at your circumstances... Trying to figure out the purpose, the point. What do all these notes amount to? And yet God looks down and He sees the score. He sees the whole piece. He sees the end from the beginning. And if anything, Christmas says to me that God knows where I'm at. He knows what's happening in my life. He knows where I'm headed. And this song that the angels sing, they bring it to shepherds out in a field, living out in a field. So I just want to encourage you as we think for just a moment longer about the audience that these angels sang to. I want to encourage you with this reality that you might feel like you're on the backside of a field somewhere, but you are not off of God's radar. He knows where you're at today. He knows what you're going through. And His Word is a song that comes and finds you where you're at. I think the audience of this song is significant. And then the angel shows up and he gives a message. Look at it with me. I want to look at the message that the angel gave. It says in verse 9, An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Here's the thing that I see in this verse. The Bible says that the angel came to them. I bring to who? I bring to you good news. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. In other words, he's saying, I'm bringing this to you so that you can bring it to them. I'm bringing this to you so you can bring it to them. The angel didn't make multiple stops that night. He found a couple of obscure shepherds, people that might have felt irrelevant or insignificant. And yet in in coming, he fulfilled exactly what the word of God said about Jesus. You know, when Jesus first began his ministry, he, as a 30 year old, he walked into the temple and he unrolled the scroll of Isaiah. Isaiah. And he began to read from that scroll and what he said reading from the scroll in that service was this, the Spirit of the Lord is on me because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. And so even in this moment, before Jesus got to be 30 years old and began to preach, the angels came declaring, to shepherds, to the poor, the good news. And this message came to those. And I just want to tell you today, it still comes to the overlooked. It still comes to the the ones that feel insignificant. It comes to us, but it doesn't come so that we can be a container and hold it in. You were never meant to be a container. There's some people that they, they... They hear what Paul said, you know, persevere in the faith, and they they misread it. They think it says preserve in the faith. So they have that idea of get all you can, can all you get, and sit on the can. It doesn't say preserve in the faith. It says persevere in the faith. And you were never intended to be a container. You were meant to be a conduit. Something can flow in you to flow through you. And so the message uh, really is the good news is the same root word that we get evangelism from. The message comes to them as good news. Don't be afraid. I bring you good news. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. It's going to bless other people. You know, as the church, we have to remember that that this season, as much as it is, is it about worship and, and it's about us celebrating what God has done and what it means in our lives, we have to always be reminded that this good news that came to us came with a mandate to go through us. So there's there's a thrust even in the good news as it comes to them. Look at the next verse with me. It says, in verse 11, today, in the town of David, a savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. Some of your translations say he is the Christ, the Lord. Th- this is the good news. I mean, the angel, he's kind of like a good preacher. You know, he's, he tells you what he's going to tell you, then he tells you, and then he tells you what he told you. He said, hey, I got good news. I'm about to tell you good news. You want to hear good news? Here comes the good news. And then he tells them, for unto you is born this day in the city of David. And he he mentions three names of Jesus. Gabriel must have been a good preacher. He had a three-point outline. And we don't know that it was Gabriel, but he was kind of center stage with Joseph and and Mary and and Zachariah. So we'll just give him credit here for this visitation. The angel comes and he says, he'll be the Savior. In the city of David is born to you this day. The Savior. Now that, that's important that we understand. He, he's saying right out of the gate who this is that's coming. This is not just another dignitary. This is not just another prophet or a priest. This is not just another king that was going to regain authority uh, governmentally. This is the Savior. That's why it was so important that when the angel visited Joseph, he told him in Matthew one twenty one, He said, call his name Jesus. Call this boy Jesus, because Jesus is the Greek translation of the name Joshua, or Yeshua. Which means, the Lord saves. That's not just his name, it's his identity. It's his purpose statement in life. Every time his mother and father said Jesus, it was a reminder to him of who he was called to be. And so the angel says, he's the Savior. You need to understand who is in the city of David tonight. The Savior of the world. The Bible says this in 1 John chapter 4 and verse 14. I love this verse. It says, we have seen seen him and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. That's why he came. To be the savior of the world. Jesus had a unique mission in his coming. His mission was to destroy the power of sin and death over your life. He didn't come to just be a good teacher. He didn't come to just be a moral guide. There's people out there that they don't want to acknowledge the lordship of Christ. But they want to adhere to his teachings. Well that's all well and good. They're great teachings. But that'll get you nowhere. Reality is the Bible says without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. In other words, there's no, there's no freedom from a guilty conscience or a guilty conviction before God outside of the shedding of Jesus' blood on the cross. That's why He came to be the Savior, he came to take our place. He came to redeem us, not just to teach us, not just to lead us, not just to point the way, but to be the way. Jesus said, I am the door. Before he came, there wasn't a door. But they knew where God was. They just couldn't access him. They they were looking for a door. They called it the law. But they, they they couldn't get in. That's why Jesus said to his disciples Don't let your heart be troubled, be of good cheer. He said, in my Father's house, there are many mansions. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you. And I'm going there to prepare a place for you. I'm going to make a place for you. That's what he said. Now, I don't believe that when Jesus told the disciples, I'm going to make a place for you in heaven, that that meant heaven hadn't been renovated yet. I believe heaven was prepared from the foundations of the earth. God prepared heaven. I don't think Jesus was saying, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna ready up a room for you. I'm gonna lay some new carpet down. I'm gonna go and prepare a place. And the only reason the rapture hasn't happened is because Jesus can't work fast enough. So 2,000 years later, He's still fixing my house. That's not what He meant. No, no, no. When Jesus said, I'm going there to prepare a place for you, He was talking about a cross. See, I'm the door. And until I die, Until I pay the penalty for your sin, you don't get in. And so the angel says, He is the Savior of the world who has come to you this day. He's the Savior. He is the Messiah. That word Messiah, it means the anointed one. It means the Christ Christ. What it meant specifically as the anointed one was that there was a special anointing on Jesus to rule as the king, as the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He would come and he would fulfill the hope of Israel. They were looking for someone. They were looking for someone in David's line to come and reestablish the throne. They believed all those promises in the Old Testament that God had given to David about establishing his throne forever. But that wasn't the reality they were living in. They were living under Roman oppression. And so their ears peaked when they heard the angel say, not only is he your Savior, but he's the Christ. He's the Messiah. He has the anointing on his life to lead God's people. And the last thing the angel said to him in the message was, the Lord. He's the Lord. The Lord is the word of God. For Israel's God, Yahweh. So when they said He's the Lord, that immediately took them to their understanding of who God is in the Old Testament. God, Yahweh. That's who Jesus is. Wait, wait a minute. So the baby that we're going to go see in just a moment is not just our Savior, He's not just going to grow up and be our King, He's God. That's what the angel was communicating. That this is the incarnation of God in a body. He is the Lord. He's God in human flesh. That's what the Bible says in John 1.14. I think Mike talked about it this morning in the Sunday school class. That we have beheld the glory of the only begotten of God. That the Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. This is God in a body. (coughs) And he says this to him in verse 12. Look at it there. The angel says, here's the sign. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Very specific. Now, I don't know why it was so specific. Maybe there were other babies born that night. You're going to go to Bethlehem. And you're going to find a baby wrapped in cloths, lying in a manger. So you go... Hey, newborn baby, yes. Swaddling clothes, yes. No manger. Next one. Newborn baby over here? Yep, newborn baby. Oh, no swaddling clothes. All right, next one. You're going to go and you're going to find a baby wrapped in a manger, it wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. I just want you to think about this because, you know, I, I know what your nativity set looks like at home, and I know what my nativity set looks like at home, and it's so beautiful, and it's so pristine, right? It's, I mean, it's, it it looks like a place that, you know, you would go, oh, well, you know, man, it's just a little stable, but boy, it sure is a pretty stable. And we don't ever think about what the animals might have smelled like, (coughs) what they might have left, tracked all over the floor, in this very unclean, unsanitary place where Mary brought the Son of God into this world. But here's... Here's the reality. In fact, I can't think of another scripture that communicates it better than Paul the apostle did in 2 Corinthians. Listen to these words as he describes what Jesus did. In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, Paul said, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich. That's that's what God did for us. That's what Jesus did for us. And I can't think of a, a more vivid illustration of that of that verse than Jesus, the newborn baby, lying in a crude cradle, a manger, a stall for animals. And there He is, the Son of God, the Savior of the world, the Anointed One, the Messiah. He became poor so that you and I could become rich. Look at the next verse with me because I want you to not just see the message of the angel, but I want you to hear the song. (coughs) It It seems to me like the angel chorus is almost holding back, just waiting for their cue. Like they just... They're just about to burst forward with praise. I mean, this is a a silent night, and and people are unaware of the 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 gravity of what's going on right now in human history. And the angels are going, man, we just let us just let us out there. Let us sing our song. Let us do our thing. And the angel is talking to the shepherds, and he gives them all the information. And then, as soon as he gives them the statement about where to find the baby, verse thirteen says, suddenly. They didn't see him coming. It wasn't a little glowing light. from It just whoosh, suddenly, they're surrounded. It says, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with an angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heavens and on earth, peace to those on whom His favor rests. The angel song. It communicates a couple of things to me. One, it it tells us what the effect of this moment was in heaven. This song expresses what the Savior's birth meant in heaven. They come on the scene with praise and they say, glory to God in the highest heavens. Glory to God. That's what's happening right now. God is receiving glory. Job talked about it in the Old Testament. That's always been the agenda, by the way. The glory of God. That's always been the purpose. God even said in the Old Testament, He said, I'll not share my glory with anyone. I'm a jealous God. A lot of people misunderstand that because we only understand jealousy and our limited and self-centered human understanding of it. But the Lord was not talking about being catty or or, or or jealous in that way. He was saying that all of this is for my glory. And it won't be shared with anyone. And so in this moment of Jesus' birth, the angels burst out with a declaration of the glory of There's only a couple places in Scripture where we actually have an opportunity to see this. One is in Isaiah chapter 6. You remember the story? Isaiah is there in the presence of the Lord and he sees the angels surrounding the throne. He hears them. And what are they doing? They're singing praises. They're bringing glory to God. Glory to God in the highest heavens. And then it says, and on earth, peace to those on whom His favor Rest. So it tells us not only the significance in heaven of Jesus coming, but also the significance on the earth of Jesus coming. And the significance of Jesus coming on the earth can be summed up in one word. Peace. Peace, that's the word. All this is happening. Heaven's rejoicing. Angels are descending Miracles are are happening. And on the earth, what does this amount to? Peace. That's the word. And this word, peace, is, is a lot more than just the absence of strife. The absence of conflict. Now some of you would say, yeah, that's enough. If I could just have that today, that would that would be enough. But it's so much more than that. It's not just saying, there's not going to be war. There's not going to be strife. There's not going to be conflict. What it means when it says, peace on earth, is it's, it's an indication of all of the blessings of God in Christ Jesus. Everything that Christ brings to the table in our lives can be summed up in that one word, peace. Now, Like most of us, I've heard this story all my life. I've gotten probably hundreds of greeting cards with part of this scripture on the front of it. How about you? Peace on earth, goodwill toward men, right? We sing it, we write it. I've had a problem with this verse for a long time. And the problem is, the way that I've always said the verse, and most of us repeat the verse, just isn't true. And it bothers me, because if there's glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to all men, that's just not true. I, mean, I don't know, maybe, maybe I watch a different channel of the news than you, but have you experienced peace on earth? Am I the only one that's noticed there's a shortage of goodwill toward men? And so we read this verse and, and we just kind of say the statement and, well, peace on earth, goodwill toward men, <coughs> Merry Christmas. And we look around and we scratch our head and, and the world watches and wonders, what are you celebrating? Because I thought we had a whole issue with ISIS going on. Like, what, what are you talking about? Like, did you not watch the news last night and see the, the, the person who was shot in the streets? Did I not hear about the person that was stabbed at Park City last night? What kind of goodwill toward men is that? So you have to understand, because I, I, don't, I don't think the angels were wrong. And since they couldn't be wrong, I had to go back and look at it again. It says, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. See, there's a condition for peace. There's a difference in saying goodwill toward men and peace on earth, and in saying peace on earth on whom God's favor rests. See, the only people that are going to experience <clears throat> God's grace, the only people that are going to experience peace at Christmas time, are those who have submitted themselves and humbled themselves to the message that the angel was singing about. This isn't a message of peace on earth and goodwill toward men. This is a message of favor that God has in mind for those who will receive this message and respond to it in faith. I'm going to say that again. God's peace is for those who put faith in Him. Who put faith in Jesus, the Messiah, the Savior, the, the Christ. And so let's let's not misunderstand the message that the angel was communicating. And let's not miscommunicate the message and say, Well, you know, that's we just believe in in, in peace on earth. And Jesus said, I didn't come to bring peace, I came to bring a sword. And we go, Well, oh, wait a minute, wait a minute. <laughs> that doesn't you can't say that at Christmas. But if we'll we'll believe, if we'll receive the message like the shepherds did and like those that they went and talked to about the message that night, the promise is absolutely yours today as much as it has ever been, as much as it was theirs. It's yours today that you can have peace in your heart. And it's more than just avoidance of strife and conflict. You can receive the promises that they declared. Look at verse 15 with me. It says, When the angels left them and they had gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off. And they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was <coughs> excuse me. Who was lying in the manger. Some words jump out to me as I read that. First of all, as soon as the angels had finished speaking, They look at one another and they say, let's go to Bethlehem. And then it says they hurried off. And then it says when they had seen Him, they spread the word. There's some urgency in the text. Do you hear it? There's some immediacy about what's going on. They're not sitting around pondering it. They're not studying the prophets. They've had an encounter with God. They've had a visitation. And now they've They've gone and they've sought the Savior and they've seen His face. As John 1 says, that we have beheld the glory of God. They saw the face of God in the image of a baby in a manger. And it says they were so impacted by this good news that immediately they went out to tell others. Immediately. They went off to to tell others about the message. It's it's interesting that the shepherds were not only picked to be the audience of this announcement, they were not only the first ones to hear the good news, but they were also the first ones to spread the good news. That these men became mobilized as the first evangelists of the gospel. They were the first ones to go out and communicate the message that a Savior has come for us. That the Messiah is here. Christ. That He is the Lord. He's God among us. Look with me in verse 17. It says, When they had seen Him, they spread the word concerning what had been told about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. You know, when I think about this story, one of the things that, attracts me to it, is how personal it is. Yeah, I mean, right right now, our reality is, I mean, it's 2015, there are millions of people that are celebrating this story. Millions of people that are setting up their little nativ- nativity sets and churches all over the world, are are doing Christmas Eve services and we're going to sing songs like the ones we sang this morning and we're going to read from the same familiar passages in the Bible. But that's not the reality on this night. There aren't millions of people celebrating His arrival. There aren't even thousands or even hundreds of people because no one knows. Because it's just one more silent night in a series of 400 years of God not speaking, not showing up, not... Talking, not communicating, no prophetic voice coming from God's people or to God's people. And yet the angel comes and it's very personal. He comes to shepherds who are living out in a field. And then it stays personal. They receive the message, they see the Savior, and then they go out. And they begin to tell others, one by one by one. Can I just tell you that, I mean, I thank God for modern technology. I thank the Lord that right now, anybody anywhere in the world that has internet access could, could log on and listen to this whole series online. I praise God for that. I'm glad for jumbotrons at football games. And I'm glad for cable TV and all those things. But I just want to remind you that the plan of God for reaching the world with the gospel is personal. It's personal. It started that way. It's still the most impacting way. One person reaching one person. Somebody talking to somebody else. Say, hey, I I had an encounter with God. I met Jesus. There, there's no discipleship class that goes on here. They don't run back. To get an education. On soul winning. No they don't know any more than that blind man. That Jesus healed. And they said hey you tell us. Who is this guy? What did he do? What did he say? And the blind man said I, I don't know. All I know is this. I was blind. And now I can see. I, that's what I know. And I'm pretty pumped about it. So if you don't mind me. I'm going to go tell some folks. Look at you. Look at you. Look at you. Look at me. They just ran, they ran with the message. There was urgency. There was enthusiasm. And look at what it says. <clears throat> look at verse 20. The shepherds returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen which were just as they had been told. Well, what were they told? Well, back in verse 10. They were told that it would cause great joy to all the people. And they go, it was just like he said it was going to be. When we told people, it brought joy to them. He said, you're going to find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. We saw him. He was there. Just like he said he was. I think it's pretty significant (laughs) that the result of their witnessing was what the angel said it should be. Because a lot of the things that I see done today in Christ's name under the banner of witnessing doesn't end with joy on people's faces. This is just free for you. You can use this in 2016. Our evangelism, our witness, ought to bring joy to people. We ought to be more known for what we're for than what we're against. More namely, who we're for than what we're against. Christmas season ought to be bringing people joy not condemnation it's it's funny how how many things we do and we stick Jesus on it oh my goodness i don't i don't want to meddle this morning yeah you know i see i see believers getting all upset about starbucks not decorating their cup their red cup with a christmas tree or Merry Christmas or whatever else they might think would be appropriate for a secular, unChristian company to do to celebrate Jesus' birth. I, I don't know what the expectation is there, but it's funny how we'll do so many things. We'll rally around so many causes, and the end result is nobody's happy. I'm not happy because you didn't say Merry Christmas to me, and you're not happy because I just condemned you for it. And I don't think Jesus is happy either. He's just up there. S-M-H, you know. Shaking my head. Our witness ought to have these results. It ought to have these results. He brought you good news. It ought to bring joy to all people. It ought to bring joy to all people. That's why we do things throughout the year as a church. Where we, we our whole purpose is just joy to all people. You know, at Easter time, we do a big Easter egg hunt. And we we just invite the whole community to come out. And I, I've had Christians get mad at me for not standing up on a platform and preaching while the whole crowd was here. Man, you should have threw out the net. You should have told them they need Jesus. You should have, you know. I, I just... I just want to bring joy to them. I want them to know that, that our news is good news. That it's not a, a bait switch. Come win a prize. You're going to hell. I've been to some of those meetings. Now we invite them to church. We hope they'll come. And you know when I stand here, I don't compromise on the truth of God's word. But we don't walk through the streets of our broken world thumping people on the head either. Telling them what's wrong with their life. We ought to be known for good news. It's good news. It attracts people to Jesus. It's what it said happened. The shepherds returned. What did they return to? Their old job. They returned to finger symbols. But you know what? Their attitude was different about it. They returned praising God. Glorify, You know what they understood? This is so much bigger than me. Like, I'm over here thinking this doesn't amount to anything, but oh my goodness, I heard the music tonight. I heard the song. And there's something that God is doing. It's the, the, it's the ovation. It's the symphony. God is telling a story through my life and through your life and through your life. and, and, through your life and he's, He wants to touch the whole world. It's, it's joy to all people. And they went back with a different attitude now they're glorifying god they're they're praising god for all the things that they had heard <coughs> and all the things that they had seen which were just as they had been told i want to tell you this song of christmas it's a personal song it's a personal invitation it goes out to those that are trapped in obscurity those that are trapped in insignificance. And while the star in the east was shining to kings and wise men and astrologers, there were angels visiting someone out in a field, telling them the good news. And I want to tell you today, God's message still wants to go out. It still wants to go out to the overlooked, the lost, the last and the least. It wants to go out to those that feel like they're insignificant or that that it doesn't matter or that maybe no good news is coming my way. How does it come? It's through a personal invitation. It's not through a mass mailing. It's by somebody that went and saw Jesus for themselves. It's when somebody who's beheld the glory of God says, wow, I got to go tell somebody. (laughs) I got to tell somebody this is good news. Not, I got to fix somebody. Not, I got to correct somebody. I got to tell them the good news. I got to tell them what Jesus has done. I got to tell them who Jesus is and what he can do for them. This morning, I want to just encourage you <coughs> wherever you're at in the score, I want you to know today, first and foremost, Christmas, specifically this song of the angel, communicates to us that you can have peace with God. You can have peace with God today. And I I don't just mean the absence of strife. That word, peace, shalom. It means so much more. It means so much more to us. The word peace means well-being. So let me read the verse again. Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, well-being to those on whom his favor rests. You know what else that word peace means? It means health. So here's, here's the song of Christmas for you today. Health to those on whom his favor rests. Does his favor rest on you? Because it's not for everybody, but it's for those that have submitted, those that have yielded their lives, who have believed the promise and said, Jesus is the Savior of the world, Savior of my life. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ, and He is the Lord. There's favor coming to you. And the favor is health. You know what else that word peace means? It means prosperity. Anybody here in a financial crunch right now? Anybody here in need? The word, the song of the angels says to you, glory to God in the highest and on earth, prosperity. To those on whom God's favor rests. You know what else that word means? The word peace means security. That's what a lot of people need today. Security. Trembling in fear. Uncertainty of the unknown. Anxiety about what might never be. It's insecurity, but the promise, the song of the angels says, security to those on whom God's favor rests. You know what else that word peace means? It means soundness. Soundness. The word of the Lord says, God has not given you a spirit of fear, but one of power and of love and a sound mind. Peace. Peace means soundness of mind. The word says God will give peace, perfect peace to those whose minds are stayed on Him. That's what you need today. This is the favor of God sung out to you from the angels. That God will give you soundness of mind to those on whom His favor rests. You know what else the word peace means? It means completeness. Completeness. Nothing lacking. Nothing missing. That's the promise of God to us today. It's going to bring glory to God in the highest and on earth. Here's what it's going to do to those who surrender wholeheartedly to God. To those on whom favor rests. They're going to to be complete. They're They're going to be full. They're not going to be missing anything. If you're missing something today, hear the song that Christmas sings over you. God wants to fill your life. He wants to bring completion and wholeness to your life. can We just come and say, God, God, we come today to receive the message that you communicated so many years ago, and that you're still communicating to our hearts today, that you want to let your favor rest in the form of your peace, that you'll meet my needs. You'll satisfy my heart. You'll give me soundness of mind and health in my body. For some of you, you need to just come and believe for a miracle. If you're sick in your body, come and say, God, heal me. Heal me because I believe that Jesus, you did come. To not just be the savior for my sins, but Lord, you came. And you took stripes on your back for my healing. God, today I want to receive that promise from your word. I want to receive it today. Father God, all over this room, we just respond to you right now. God, I thank you that this invitation is is personal to each of us. That whether it was this morning, in this moment, or in another service, or even in our own home, there was a moment somebody shared the gospel And when we heard it, it was good news. And it caused great joy in our hearts. And God, for those that are here today that need joy, they're missing out on that. They don't know peace. God, I pray today that their hearts would be humbled and surrendered to you. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name, Lord. Let them not go through this season knowing about the Savior and not responding.